the vast majority of universities in the United States started out as Christian institutions. Grammar schools in the United States used to use Scripture, used to use the Bible as the starting point from which they learned. They did all their grammar and everything. They, they got that from reading Scripture. So where is Christ and the Bible in our schools today? Does God and our faith have a place in knowledge and understanding? Where is the intellectual ability to integrate our faith with the world around us, even in our churches today? What happened to the ability to, to see and understand how the Word of God is neither separate from reality, nor can it be or should it be? Why is there a call upon us as believers to, to segregate our intellect from our faith? Why do we feel the need to say things like, God said it, I believe it, that settles it? When never in the Word of God are we told to have a faith on that basis. Intellect and faith are not separate. They, they are inseparable. They say that art, when it is created, is, is an expression of the artist themselves. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. The person, the wisdom, the intellect of God are deeply ingrained in creation, that which he has made. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it says, What can be known about God is plain to them, plain to us, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We can see the intellect, the divine nature of God, the expression of the artist. We can see the artist in, in what he's made. So they are without excuse. God expects that if we take an intellectual reasoning look at, at what is around us, simply in creation alone, we should be able to come to an understanding that God is. In fact, he sees it as being so evident to us in creation that he says that we are without excuse. There's no reason from an intellectual understanding of what we see around us there's no reason to say there is no God. In fact, everything around us implies God is. When God chose to reveal himself to us personally, he did it through the Son, who, as John chapter 1 describes him, is the Word in the flesh. Jesus is the Logos, 
the Word of God, the personal divine revelation of the wisdom, the intellect, and the power of God. Colossians says that in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Philippians reminds us that Jesus Christ, before he took on flesh, was in the form of God. Hebrews tells us that in these last days, he, God, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If we want to know God, We need to know his word. If we want to understand creation, we need to understand the creator. If we want to have an unshakable faith, we then need to filter what we know through the words of an unshakable God. The one who laid down the foundations of the heavens and the earth. The one who laid down his life. For our salvation. He is worthy. As Christians, we are called to have transformed minds, minds that are changed by His Spirit in this reconciled relationship we have with Him, minds that think in accord with the revealed word and will of God, not with a blind idiocy but by testing and discernment, being able to recognize the difference between the philosophies of this world and the wisdom of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. With with all that we are, we are called to be able to integrate our faith with life and and our comprehension of, of everything around us, the whole world around us. They really are inseparable, as we've been created not as separate parts, have we? But as a whole soul, as a whole person, our mind, our heart, our our spirit, our body, each part integrated with the next. A whole person is what you are. Scripture is loaded with apologetics. It's a good big word for you, apologetics. The intelligent use of reason and logic to show that Jesus is the Christ. That indeed, Jesus Christ is the Savior. Last last week's passage, if if you're already open to Acts chapter 17, verses 2 through 3, as Paul went in, as was his custom on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. He reasoned, he explained, he proved. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense. That word for defense is apologion, apologetics. That's where we get our word apologetics, that defense. Being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. J.P. Moreland, he's a modern Christian apologist, and he said, while few would actually put it in these terms, Faith is now understood as a blind act of will, a decision to believe something that is either independent of reason or that is a simple choice to believe while ignoring the paltry lack of evidence for what is believed. By contrast with this modern misunderstanding, biblically, faith is a power or skill to act in accordance with the nature of the kingdom of God, a trust in what we have reason to believe is true. Scripture is loaded with the value of wisdom, the value of being able to communicate what has been made known to us, the value of an intelligent faith. That's why in our passage today, God honors the Bereans. He honors them by calling them noble. It's a word that originally had to do with being noble by birth and therefore educated, but came to mean being high-minded, being thoughtful, intelligent, thinking, reasonable. And this is a trait that God sees value in. And he appreciates it in them. And and so we read today how their nobility has been recorded in Scripture. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start at verse 10 and read through 15. Let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. The first intelligent act we see here in this passage is actually by Paul and Silas. As men of God, those called to bear witness to the person and works of Jesus Christ, they sought the best way to serve the gospel, to get the gospel started in this new place. And so what did they do? They went to the synagogue. They, they went where they knew they would have an instant brotherhood, a, a very natural connection with the people in that place, a point of connection because of their shared belief 
in the God of Scripture. When we talk with people, as we know our call to be witnesses, to bear witness to the person and works of Jesus Christ, to, to share that gospel message, as we get to know people, are we looking for ways to connect with them? Are we actively pursuing that or just kind of hoping it'll happen by accident? Are, are we looking for ways that we might share things in common with them? And then, are we looking for how we can connect with those life experiences with our faith? Or, or are they two completely separate things and we should not let the twain come together? We need to get to the point where our faith is so integrated into our own lives that it simply comes out in who we are. It simply comes out in our conversation. As we find shared life experiences with other people, we already know how that life experience ties in with Jesus Christ in our own selves, and so we can bring that out into that life experience that we share with them. How is Christ a part of mowing the lawn? I'm sure we can figure something out. What does scripture have to do with math or geography or language arts? What does God have to do with being a CPA or, or doing my own taxes? How is Jesus playing a part in my hobbies, in my vacations? What does God have to do with any of these things? He does, and we need to figure out just how he does. Are we seeking out ways to include Christ in our time, in our conversation with other people, seeing how Christ and God's word and, and who he is and his will actually has to do with everything in our lives? Sharing the gospel can be one of the most daunting things for us to do as Christians. We want to get it right. We want to see it work. We want to see someone come to faith. We need to remember that it is ours to intelligently and reasonably bring together faith and life for those who don't know Christ so that then God's Spirit can finish the work in them. We are seed planters. We bring together the faith and life. Let them see it in us. Let God cause that seed to grow. It's ours to find the tools to help us do this. Do you have a small group, a small fellowship group that you meet with? Leave a chair open so that somebody can always invite a neighbor or friend. Do, do you have a group of Christian friends where you can just have a barbecue and invite your neighbors over so they can see Christians are real people. We deal with everyday life, and Christ is a part of that need to make ways to bring Jesus into our conversations and time with other people. The next intelligent step we see here comes from the Bereans themselves. Verse 11, it says, Now these Jews, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They heard the gospel message, and they receive it with eagerness. 
It's a great word there. The Bereans actively engage this gospel message with zeal. They really want to figure out what is this thing that we are hearing about. And they do it with the word of God as their measuring stick, as their litmus test, uh, the truth by which they gauge the validity of any philosophies, anything that they hear, any ideas that come at them. They go directly to God's word to see just how true is this thing. They understood that if there is a truth in this world, which is a world created by God, it's going to have to be able to stand in agreement with God, with God's word, not standing in contradiction with what God has told us and shown us to be true especially us, in the resurrection of his son. These Bereans, they said, we want to hear what you have to say, and, and we will judge it by what God has to say. See, they were, they were of, of a rational, thoughtful mind, without prejudice, that, that word for noble. They were this, this perfect definition of tolerant, that we should have ourselves today. They, they, they would say, I can vehemently disagree with you and, and even be disturbed by your beliefs and yet fight for your right to believe them. But before I can agree with you, before I can support you in those things, I'll need to run this by the creator of all truth. They knew the words of Psalm 119 Verse 160. Yes, there is a psalm with 160 verses. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Christians, as people, we need to understand who determines truth. Is there absolute truth? Is moral truth relative? It is truth to be determined by whoever is in whatever situation they might be in and, and however they might feel. Relativity applied to truth is a logical fallacy. Relativity applied to truth is a logical fallacy. For someone to say there is absolutely no absolute truth... It's a self-contradiction, isn't it? Can you hear it in there? You can't say there's absolutely no absolute truth because that's an absolute in and of itself, isn't it? It just doesn't work, and that's what the world tries to say. It's all relative. Moral truth is absolute, and it is not self-determined. Moral truth is responsible to a greater authority than myself, and that's what makes it absolute. We don't determine it. But we are compelled to keep it. Let me give you an example. It is always wrong to torture babies for your own self-pleasure. Would you all agree with that? It's always wrong to torture babies for your own self-pleasure. Everyone everywhere understands this concept unless some measure of sinful self-centeredness blocks out that truth as men suppress the truth in their unrighteousness, right? 
Everyone everywhere understands absolute moral truth at some point because there is a moral measure and a standard apart from ourselves. Everyone acknowledges this this at some point, even if it's that point at which it starts to affect them. You can't hurt me. That's wrong. Why is that wrong? Because there's a moral standard apart from ourselves, to whom everyone must answer. If there is a creator God, and I think between an intelligent look at Scripture and creation, that answer is clear, God is, then does not and would not that same God determine the truths upon which his creation would function? If God determines absolute moral truth, is it not wisdom then to understand just what he has said is true? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. The culture around us is feeding us philosophies and information at such a rapid pace, it's really impossible to keep up with everything that's coming at us all the time. All the opinions, the thoughts, the self-determined truths that, that we receive through social media, television, debates, conversations, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by all of it. And, and sometimes it, it becomes so overwhelming that we just kind of turn our heads away, and we turn a blind eye to it. And are we blindly accepting, then, what the world is throwing at us? Or do we have a litmus test? Do we have that measure by which we judge truth? Something through which we determine validity? Are we comparing what the world has to say with what God has to say. We need to be Bereans. When your friends at college are offering you a drink, how do you answer that? Is it uh, mommy and daddy who determine what you'll do? Is it some kind of tradition in which you were raised that will answer this question for you? What then will you do when you're at college and this is being proposed and mommy and daddy aren't there and you don't have a tradition that speaks into that? Is it okay for somebody underage to drink? Is it okay for a Christian to drink? What does God have to say about that. When people spout off about our government or, or what they're doing or, or what they're not doing, whatever it might be for the day, do, do we know any passages that apply to how we as Christians should approach our governing officials and our government and its laws? Are there any passages that apply to these things? Yes, there are. As good Bereans, we need to figure out what those are. 
so that instead of spouting off with everybody else on Facebook, we can approach these things as Christian men and women, viewing all of these things through the eyes of God, His truth. When the world embraces many ways to get to heaven, and we want to be caught up in what feels like the, the kind and gentle thing to do and simply nod in agreement or, or even give them a little bit of support from behind, not really being seen because, hey, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't support this, right? Do we remember that Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And if we are a thinking people, do we look deeply enough to understand that all of these different philosophies are actually in all reality mutually exclusive at some point? There is no coexist. Because at some point, everything, every one of those philosophies contradicts the next one. When the Bereans heard a new way from what they had previously known, they engage it. They didn't ignore it. They engage it with zeal. According to God's word, with his word as that test of its validity. And as they tested it, because of the way they approached it, and the truth of the gospel that it is, many of them believed. Verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed. How often were they in the word of God to discern, to discern this truth? To see if the gospel is real, valid, true. They were in it daily, weren't they? This was not just for funsies. They're, 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 the word of God isn't just for, uh, hey, let me put that on a bumper sticker or quote that for the fun of it, put that little saying on Facebook, isn't that great, I'm a Christian, right? This wasn't just for a cursory glance. It was their, their walk with God was such a high priority for them that their worship in the word was a full immersion task. They weren't going to let it go until they knew for sure from God's word, and so they went to God's word daily. If they heard a new philosophy, a new idea, they didn't let it go until they could determine it with certainty from the wisdom and knowledge of God's word. Because God's word applies to life. Everything and every day, the, the designer of this world has given us an instruction book. Don't be men. Well, be a man if you're a man. But, but just don't be those kind that, that thinks they can put the bike together without the directions. And then you end up with like five extra parts. Hmm, I wonder where that was supposed to go. That's not, that's, or, or, it isn't going together, so they just throw the whole thing out out of frustration. We, we don't want to be those who throw away the revealed wisdom of God because of the frustrating confusion of the philosophies of this world as they come at us. We want to be those who are so integrated with the Word of God in our lives and our faith and our understanding that we can hit those things when they come at us. 
We can judge them according to the way God would judge them. We need to be good Bereans and read the directions. And if this is something we're doing daily, you'll be ready when the philosophy comes, when that new truth comes at you on social media, whatever the world's grasping at at this point to try and push God aside. We need to find ways and times to dig into God's word and how it applies to life so that we can meet this crazy world head on without backpedaling. Have a daily time in God's word. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you have a daily time in God's word because that could be embarrassing. Remember, it doesn't have to be a long time. You're not holier if you can spend three hours in, in daily prayer and devotions. Read one chapter. Just one chapter. Daily. Immersed in God's word. One chapter. Pray. Go to work. On your lunch break. One chapter. Pray. One time a day. As God starts feeding into your life, you'll, you'll start to see things differently. Get into a small group where you can, you can share life with others and, and help one another to recognize how God's word applies to our daily lives. You can feel free to ask those hard questions there without being embarrassed about asking it in a big Sunday school class or something like that. Learn God's word in a Sunday school class where, where God's word is, is looked at carefully, in-depth, academically, where you have a teacher who has a good, strong hermeneutic if you don't know what a hermeneutic is, ask your Bible school teacher. Go to Sunday service where we can be encouraged, exhorted to live out things according to how God has told us. To be encouraged to step out and grow in our walk with Christ. Let's meet life with nobility. In this passage, have you ever gotten a yearbook where, where somebody else writes something about each person in it? There's, there's the yearbook team, right? And they sit there and they think about every person in the school and they write something about them. And so-and-so is the most likely to succeed. This guy just ate pigged out at the lunch tables every day. Or, or this guy skipped class every chance he got. And, and the only... The only power you have over what they said is how you lived your life for the last four years. In, in this passage, God writes something about the Bereans. That their approach to his word and the gospel message was noble. High-minded thoughtful, studied, rational. Because God values these things. I wonder if God was writing about me or if he was writing about Alden Union Church, the way he wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. What would he say? 
hope that as God looked at me, he'd be able to say amongst other things that, that we were good Bereans. That I filtered this world and its philosophies through his word. That I was daily immersed in his word and applying it to my life. Integrating my faith with my life, my heart, my soul, my mind, all together. Don't let the world convince you to segregate these things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. Father, we thank you for the evidence of yourself in creation. As we think about things like that cosmological argument and, and all these wonderful things and, and ideas that prove who you are and what you've done. The evidence of your Son his death and resurrection, his appearing to 500 at once, that, that there are eyewitnesses, those who wrote down what they had seen and heard and known. And Lord, you've given us these things that we would see and hear and know. Father God, I praise you that you do not ask us for a, a blind faith, but you, you want us to be intelligent, understanding, reasonable, noble men and women of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to integrate our faith with our minds and our knowledge and our intelligence. Cause us to grow in these things, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. Transform our minds, we pray. All in Christ's name, amen.